Hey, everybody, this is Brian Zond. Welcome to my sermon podcast. Now, before we get into the sermon, though, I want to tell you that I have a live in-person prayer school coming up Friday night, Saturday morning, November 3rd and 4th. So if you can be with us, we would love to have you for prayer school in the upper room right here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri, Friday night, Saturday morning, November 3rd and 4th. And then if you want, you can stay around for Sunday. That's our anniversary Sunday. We're celebrating 42 years here at Word of Life. So to register, it's it's registration for a donation of any amount. Go to wolc.com slash prayer school for the in-person prayer school November 3rd and 4th. This morning, I want to talk about prayer. Now, I don't want you to get nervous or anxious because I know a lot of times with church folks, someone brings up the topic of prayer. Uh, it makes you a little nervous, right? Like you're going to hear a guilt-laden sermon about why you don't pray enough and why you should pray more. And uh, so that's not what's going to happen uh, today. But I do want to talk about prayer because prayer is to your soul what breathing is to your body. So actually, let's, let's do this together, both online and here in the building. Let's just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath all the way in and then exhale. Something very simple and basic about breathing. Uh, it is also very, very necessary, right? You are dependent upon every breath that you take. Without breathing, there is quite literally no physical life. You, you, you need to breathe. And so there is no flourishing spiritual life without prayer. So I wanna teach on prayer today because, well, where the metaphor breaks down is that you don't have to learn how to breathe. Your body does that automatically. Now, you can train your breathing, right? You can hold your breath underwater. You know, you can slow down your breathing, but you don't have to learn. You just, your body knows how to do that. Unfortunately, our souls don't naturally know how to pray, which is why we offer prayer school here at Word of Life. And uh, so I I do want you to get signed up. If you have not been to prayer school, our next in-person prayer school, it's coming up November 3rd and 4th, a Friday night, Saturday morning. I really hope you get registered and come. You can register for a donation of any amount. Um, And we want you to come to prayer school because, well, I'll speak personally. I want you to come to prayer school because I can say without exaggeration that learning to pray with structure and scripture and yes, silence and the Psalms. Learning to pray this way has been the best thing I've done. Well, I'm tempted to say for my spiritual life, but I would say for my entire well-being. like it's, it's that important. And so if you've been to prayer school and you want a refresher course, get signed up and come. That's gonna be part of our anniversary weekend. But we teach prayer school because you know, naturally we, we don't know really on our own how to pray. I'm embarrassed to admit that I was a pastor for years and years and years, and I really didn't know how to pray. 
Um, now, I mean, I could pray in public. I could pray at funerals. I could pray in worship services. I could pray with people in the hospital, like all that kind of stuff I could do. But in my own devotional life, my own connectivity to God, I didn't know what I was doing. And I was embarrassed by that. But then uh, Pastor Brian started teaching prayer school and I went to a couple prayer schools. And at first it was difficult and challenging. And if I could say kind of odd, it was different. But then, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I thought, okay, I've been through enough of these prayer schools. I'm gonna take the four Sundays of Advent. This is years ago. Uh, 28 days, and I'm gonna pray this morning prayer liturgy like Pastor Brian teaches it. And I don't know, something happened that it just like clicked in my, in my soul. And so today I want to give you a little taste of prayer school. So for those who haven't been, this is kind of the feeling, the vibe of prayer school. And then for those of you who have been to prayer school, well, you can consider this kind of an addendum, right? This is bonus material. Uh, but I, wanted, I want to teach you on prayer. But before I get there, first, a verse uh, from the psalm. Psalm 123, verse 3. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy, for we have had our fill of contempt. The prayer I want to teach you is called the Jesus Prayer. And it's simple. It's just 10 words. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Let's say that together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. The Jesus prayer is simple, easy. You can memorize it. You will have it memorized by the time you leave here today. But it is foundational. For the Orthodox East, and you know about the Orthodox Church, right? Like the original split in the church wasn't Catholics and Protestants in the 16th century. It was Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox in the 11th century, right? The church has been having fights and divisions for a long time. Uh, but the original divide in the church was between the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Both of these churches are thriving today. Both of these churches are around the world today. And we love the whole body of Christ. We, we love both of these branches. But the Orthodox, they kind of have a way of doing things. And Catholics, they kind of have a way of doing things. And when it comes to Orthodox spirituality, what is at the very foundation is this very simple 10-word prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Now, it's foundational in Orthodox spirituality, but it really is a prayer that comes to us from the Gospels, right? Luke chapter 18. If you have a Bible, you can go there if you want. But the roots of the Jesus prayer are not just in a religious tradition, but the roots go all the way back to the Gospels, all the way back to Jesus. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 10, Jesus said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. I'm reading here from the New Living Translation and I appreciate that they throw in that word despised because it helps to set the tone because in Jesus' world of the first century, Pharisees were the good guys and tax collectors were the bad guys. So you hear about Pharisees, everyone's like, woohoo, 
You hear about tax collectors and you're like, boo. So these two guys are going to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, yay. The other, a tax collector, boo. Jesus continues. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Now, remember, these two guys are praying in the same place. And I kind of imagine this Pharisee kind of pointing over to the despised tax collector, saying, God, I'm certainly not like that guy. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Praise be my name. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner and not the Pharisee returned home justified before God, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Notice here that the Pharisee prays a very me-centered prayer, right? He's all puffed up in pride, so uh, proud of his many, many accomplishments and his religious purity. And he prays a me-centered prayer and he doesn't get justified. Who gets justified, who gets set right with God is this despised tax collector who prays a mercy centered prayer. Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. So this becomes the biblical, the gospel, the Jesus root for what we call the Jesus prayer. And the foremost advocate for the Jesus prayer in Eastern Orthodoxy is Callistos Ware. Callistos Ware is a well, was, he, he died last year, died just last August, but he was a high-ranking official in the Orthodox Church. He had the title Metropolitan, uh, which is like a bishop. He, he, was a, he was an important person in the Orthodox world. And though I never met him, I've read his books and I've listened to a number of lectures online. Just this week, I was listening to Callistos Ware teach on the Jesus prayer in preparation for all this. And uh, what can we say about Callistos Ware? Well, he was a kind hearted man. Uh, he was ecumenical. He loved the whole church. I think back in the 70s, he wrote a little book called The Orthodox Way to help um, Protestants and Catholics understand Orthodox faith. I love that book, but he loved the whole church. Uh, he was British. He was an Anglican. He grew up Anglican and then converted to Orthodoxy. He taught and lectured at Oxford for, I think, four decades. Um, and he was funny, um, as much as a, a Brit can be funny. It was that kind of dry English kind of humor. But even the, even the sermon I listened to this week, he's, he's cracking jokes. He's got his big hat and all of his Orthodox regalia, and he's up there cracking jokes. Uh, and he, more than anyone else, have taught me the value of the Jesus prayer. And so he wrote this little treatise, this little book. It's not even a book. It's more like a booklet uh, called the Jesus prayer. And in it, Ware says that the Jesus prayer is like a rope. 
And there are four strands to the prayer. The first is the cry for mercy. Number two is the discipline of repetition. The third is the quest for stillness. Then the final strand is the veneration of the holy name. So I kind of want to uh, teach on those four strands. And then maybe will you not only memorize the Jesus prayer, but perhaps you can find ways to incorporate it into your life. So let's talk about the Jesus prayer, four strands. Number one is the cry for mercy. At the heart of the Jesus prayer is this request, have mercy on me. So it is much, very much like that uh, parable from Jesus, Luke 18. This is a a mercy-centered prayer. Now, the request for mercy is not always a request for pardon or forgiveness. And, And that's what the tax collector was asking mercy for, for a pardon. Sometimes when we're asking God for mercy, have mercy on me, we are praying uh, that God would forgive us, that he would pardon us of our sins, but not always. I find actually more often than not, this request is not so much a request for pardon and forgiveness as if we're a bunch of low down, dirty, rotten sinners. Rather, I see this request for mercy as simply a request for help. I mean, think in the Gospels, think back to the number of stories that you can recall where people cried out to Jesus and said, have mercy on me. For example, uh, blind Bartimaeus. Remember that story? We, We call him blind Bartimaeus, but he did get healed. So he should be healed Bartimaeus, but you got the alliteration, blind Bartimaeus. So there's Bart and he's on the side of the road and he's blind, he's begging, he's crying out. Jesus comes walking by. And somehow he hears that this is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the miracle worker. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, Jesus just keeps on walking for whatever reason. And he, Bart keeps crying out. And even the disciples are like, Shh, don't, don't bug the master. Jesus got stuff to do. But Bartimaeus doesn't remain quiet. Instead, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stops and calls Bart over to him and says, well, what do you want me to do for you? Which is an interesting question because it appears as I've read this gospel story over and over, isn't it obvious? The dude's blind. He's a blind beggar. He's begging because he is blind. You're a miracle worker. Obviously, Jesus, you know what the guy wants. But Jesus often in the gospels, is not asking a question to gain information. He's asking a question to reveal something to the person he's asking. Jesus wants to know, what do you really want Jesus to do? See, Jesus always wants to go at your heart because we don't really do what we think we ought to do more often than not. We do what we want to do, right? We do based on what's in the desires of our hearts. So Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, that I might receive my sight. Jesus says, go, go your way. Your faith has made you whole and pow, instantly he is healed. Now in his request, when Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's not necessarily saying, Jesus, 
forgive me of my sins. Maybe that's included, but that doesn't appear to be Bartimaeus's primary problem. He's not asking for forgiveness of sins. He's just asking for help. So this first strand of the Jesus prayer, this, this, this request, this cry for mercy is about asking God for help because prayer is not so much about being heard. It's about being helped. And the reality is sometimes we forget that we need help. Sometimes we get so busy in our lives, we think we got everything under control, we forget that actually we, we really need help. Frederica Matthews Green is an Orthodox uh, teacher and writer. And in her little book um, on the Jesus Prayer, she writes, God doesn't need us to remind him to be merciful. He's merciful all the time, even when we don't ask. But unless we make a habit of asking for mercy, we forget we need it. Ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility must every day tear down. I love that image. Ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility must every day tear down. Ego, all pumped up with pride and self-obsession, doesn't build an impenetrable uh, stone fortress. Rather, our ego constructs a flimsy cardboard fortress that just clutters up our soul with thoughts of uh, self-reliance and self-sufficiency. That's our besetting sin, the sin of self-sufficiency. We, we think we can do it on our own as if we don't need help. Well, the request for mercy, the cry for mercy is a habit that reminds us that indeed we do need help. So let's, let's pray the Jesus prayer together. Say it with me. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me. Second strand the discipline of repetition. In the Orthodox tradition, they pray the Jesus prayer over and over again, sometimes as many as a hundred times. Um, and I've learned the value of that. Um, in my own life, as I've prayed the Jesus prayer and pray it repeatedly, I've seen the value of it. And whenever I start talking about repeating prayers, there's always someone who's like, well, wait, 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 wait a second. What about Jesus? Matthew 6, 7, he says, don't be like the Gentiles who in their vain repetition think they're gonna be heard for their many words. What about that vain repetition thing? Well, what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is critiquing is not so much repetition, but vain repetition. I mean, Jesus is about ready to give his disciples a prayer, the Lord's prayer, that they would repeat. We, we know that. We know in church history that the Lord's prayer is a repeated prayer. So Jesus was about ready to give them a prayer to repeat. Jesus isn't critiquing and giving a, a prohibition to repetition per se. Jesus instead is critiquing vain repetition, empty repetition. Vain repetitions in the King James Version, the, the Greek word there really means to, to babble. Um, other translations will say, uh, heap up empty phrases, right? So the words of our prayer, that's not what's empty. What can be empty is our heart. 
What Jesus is critiquing is people who pray just saying the words and going through the motion and not putting intentionality and their heart into the prayer. See, that's, that's the real work. That's the real work of the Jesus prayer is to pray it with intentionality, giving intention to each word that we say. Because the Jesus prayer itself is not empty. I mean, think about each of the words and phrases in that. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. That's not empty. That's, that's our seminal confession, right? That, uh, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's declaring that he is the world's true Lord and ruler. And he's gonna be the Lord over my life and I'm gonna follow him, Lord Jesus. The name he was given, his dad gave him that name. The angel said, call him Jesus because he'll save his people from his sins. Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title meaning king. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God. That speaks of Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, the son of the father. And son of God was also a title given to the Caesar, the Roman Caesars of the first century. They were called uh, son of the divine Augustus. They were called son of God. But Christians, we call Jesus son of God because he's really the ruler. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy. Man, that's what we need. That's Mercy is what we need in our world. Mercy is what we need in our souls. Have mercy on me, the, the, the object of God's love and devotion. There, there's nothing empty about any of the words of this prayer. What can be empty is me and you. And so that's where we have to put in some work because the Jesus prayer is simple in its construction. Again, you're gonna have it memorized before you leave today but it's challenging in its practice. So let's pray it again. And if you're online with us, wherever you are, I want you to pray this right out loud with us here in the sanctuary. Let's, let's pray it again out loud, but let's give attention to each of the words. Let's pray it again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. The third strand of this prayer is the quest for stillness. Where, Christos Ware teaches that you can pray the Jesus prayer both in fixed times and free times. In other words, you can pray it in your normal scheduled times of prayer. So for me, I pray the Jesus prayer three different times in morning prayer. But I've also learned this value of praying it just all the time, just throughout my day. Just, just whispering out, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And I have experienced, I can't explain how it works, but I've experienced the, the, the calm that comes over my, my soul when I, when, I, when I pray that prayer. Uh, Ware tells a story in his book, The Jesus Prayer, about Orthodox monks praying the Jesus Prayer like hundreds and like thousands of times. And I, I find that fascinating. Although, by the way, I, I, it's fascinating, but I never could do the monk life. Like I, maybe the Benedictines, I could join the Benedictines because I think they get to watch TV. I've seen a TV at, at Conception Abbey because I still have to watch the Chiefs. I don't know if I could do the monastic life, but there's so much I've, I've learned from, from monks. But Orthodox monks, they'll pray the Jesus prayer so many times that they will wake themselves up at night praying the prayer. 
because it like slips into their subconscious. Now that hasn't happened to me. Like I, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm not being spiritual at all, right? People are like, the Lord woke me up and I prayed and no, the Lord wakes me up and I'm just trying to get back to sleep, man. Like I treasure myself. I don't wake up being spiritual, but there are times and I kid you not, it happened last night that I will wake up in the middle of the night. And actually I, I woke up last night. I had a dream about getting attacked by a spider. And I'm not normally like afraid of spiders. I don't know where this dream came from. You know, dreams were weird. Um, but I had this dream that I was being attacked by the spider and I like crushed it and I woke up, you know? And you know how you have that moment when you wake up out of a dream, you're like, okay, that's not real. And I'm checking for spiders. I hope it's not real. Okay. So it's, it's this last night, it's like three o'clock in the morning and I'm laying there. So I've developed this habit that when that happens, I'll just start praying the Jesus prayer. Sometimes it's in my mind. Sometimes I'll just kind of whisper it out. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And whether I do it out loud or just in my mind, I kid you not, and it happened last night. I'll pray that prayer, I don't know, three, four, or five times, and then I fall right back to sleep. There is something about this prayer that leads us to a place of stillness and calm in God's presence. And don't we need a whole lot more of that? I mean, have you ever come across a pond or a lake that is perfectly still? Like there is no waves, there's no current, like the lake or pond, it's like, like steel. It's like, it's like a mirror. And so it reflects back the, the sun or the trees, the mountains, it just reflects it, it's just perfectly still. This is a picture of our hearts in the presence of God. And the Jesus prayer can help you get there. See, I, I'm no master of silence and solitude and stillness. But for me, the Jesus prayer has been very helpful to get to that place of stillness and quiet. You know, in the, in, in the morning liturgy, we practice contemplative prayer. That's prayer without words. That sitting quietly, sitting in silence in the presence of Jesus and when I first started doing that, that really kind of freaked me out because I'm not good at silence. Like I have not mastered this, but I have found that if I will pray the Jesus prayer repeatedly right before that time of silence, that it stills and relaxes my heart and my body. And I can sit quietly in the Lord's presence. You know, silence, that's a, that's, a, that's a part of prayer. Uh, Thomas Merton said, it is not speaking that breaks our silence, but the anxiety to be heard. Isn't that so true? When you first start practicing silence, you kind of have this anxiety, like I'm ready to get on. I got more stuff to say to Jesus. I got stuff to do and say. And there's something about praying the Jesus prayer for me that brings me into a place of calm and stillness where I can enjoy the presence of Jesus in silence. Let's pray it again. Let's pray the Jesus prayer again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. The fourth and final strand of the Jesus prayer is the veneration of the holy name. To venerate means to honor or respect. And you know, respect is something that cannot be demanded. Respect is something that is given. 
And I have found well, maybe what is for me the most impactful part of the Jesus prayer is that we venerate, we honor, we respect, we utter out the holy name of Jesus. So one of the ways we keep Jesus centered in our whole life of prayer is this prayer, the Jesus prayer. And so every time we're uttering it, we are honoring the name of Jesus. And here's what happens. Whatever we honor and respect begins to draw our attention. Isn't that true? Like what you give a lot of worth and value to, right? That's what you honor. That's what you respect. The more religious words, that's what you venerate. Whatever you give your honor, respect, your attention to, it has a way of, of drawing your attention. And I'm just sold on the truth that you will become like that which you behold, right? You grow into the image you gaze upon. And so if we are gonna grow as Jesus people, becoming more like Jesus, then we need ways to honor Jesus' name. Because you know, in our world, Jesus Christ has become uh, a popular form of profanity. But for those of us who have been rescued by Jesus, saved by Jesus, healed by Jesus, who have experienced the grace and mercy from Jesus, that name is holy, that name is sacred. And so in this little prayer, as, as we're praying it, we are honoring the name of Jesus which then what happens is we give the Holy Spirit power to form and to shape our hearts into the image of Jesus. And that's the great purpose for this whole Christian life, that we would become more like Jesus. You know, Romans 8.28 is maybe one of, let's just call it one of the top 10 favorite verses of Christians, Romans 8.28. And it's a, it's a popular verse for a reason. It says, Romans 8, 28, for God is able to cause all things to work together for the good for those who love God and with those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I mean, this is a great promise. We love to hang on to that. But notice the very end of the verse says, those who are called according to his purpose. Well, what's his purpose? Well, you got to keep reading. So Romans 8, 29, the next verse says, those who God foreknew, he predestined. That means God had a plan from the beginning that they might be conformed into the image of his son. This is the great purpose for why we're doing all this stuff is that we would not only worship Jesus and honor Jesus and pray to Jesus, but that we would become like Jesus. Because the church continues to get beat up and picked on, and sometimes the church deserves it. Christianity as a religion is not always popular, but Jesus remains popular. Why? Because he's the full embodiment of what God is like. So as we pray this prayer, we're given the Holy Spirit room and freedom and power to, to transform us and conform us and shape us into the image of Jesus. Let's pray it together one more time. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Amen. 
So prayer in its various forms is how we make ourselves present to God. Holy communion is how God makes himself present to us. So let's stand up together and prepare ourselves to come to the Lord's table, to come to Holy Communion. And everybody is invited to the Lord's table. We're gonna offer a confession of faith. We're gonna pray a confession of sin. And then we're gonna invite everybody to the table of the Lord. Everybody who is here in this building is invited. Everybody worshiping online, you're invited. You just gotta provide your own communion elements. Here in the sanctuary, there'll be ushers. They'll, they'll release you. They'll show you where to go. And down front, you'll see two people standing there and someone will have a basket of bread and they'll say, the body of Christ broken for you. Take a piece of that bread. Someone will have a cup and they'll say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Dip the bread into that cup and eat that bread and know that in doing so, you are communing, you're connecting your life with the mercy giver who is Jesus. Friends, Jesus is here and he's extending an offer to you. If you want this life of love, this life of faith, this life of hope, Jesus says, just reach out and grab it. And the way you can reach out is through Holy Communion. And so let's prepare ourselves. Let's don't rush into communion, but let's prepare ourselves by first confessing our Christian faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now join me as we offer this prayer of confession and, and let's put our heart and intentionality into these words. Let's offer this prayer of confession together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And now Jesus, he invites us to this table. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, you who have wanted 
to respond to the invitation of Jesus. This is your moment. So whether you've been here often or you haven't been here long, it is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you.